And we said, every time you see something, read something, or hear something about state politics that makes you angry or frustrates you or you think is a setback, take everything less in your wallet, purse, or billfold that's $5 and throw it in this jar. And we literally called them angry jars. Bring them back to the county party headquarters at the end of the month. We'll count up all the cash and change. You write a check for it because you can't take that much cash. And we'll fundraise this way. We raised $19,000 in two months off Angry Jars. Hello, this is the Great Battlefield Podcast. I'm Nathaniel G. Perlman. A great political battle is being fought right now between progressives and the forces of reaction on the other side. This show is about the political entrepreneurs and other progressive leaders who are finding new or improved ways to fight. My guests today, Becky Pittman and Emily Wineland, are two Arkansas-based Democratic political fundraisers turned political fintech entrepreneurs. They have co-founded a firm called Good Change, which adds a wallet and a spare change roundup feature to donation processing. It was interesting to hear their stories about how they came to see this opportunity and pursue it to help Democratic campaigns. So after a quick word from my sponsor, my interview with Emily and Becky of Good Change. This episode is brought to you by Graphicacy. Graphicacy is an analytic design firm that can help you advance the mission of your organization using your own real data and information. They are 21st century visual communicators who create interactive graphics, motion graphics, and data visualizations. You can find Graphicacy at graphicacy.com. That is G-R-A-P-H-I-C-A-C-Y.com. With Graphicacy's help, you can visualize a better world. Becky, would you mind introducing yourself and giving me a quick biography? Yes. So my name is Becky Pittman. I live in Little Rock, Arkansas. It's the land of opportunity. It is the land of opportunity. And it's a wonderful place to live, except on 105 degree August days. <laughs> Little Rock is it's a wonderful place. My background's marketing communications. Um, I found myself diving into the political sphere around 2012, 2013. And from there, just served many different kinds of organizations, PACs, trade associations, nonprofits, candidates, state parties. Served them in, in what capacity? Fundraising, finance director, and um, and marketing communications, strategic communications, that kind of thing. So just a little bit of everything. And then I went over to an entrepreneur support organization, where, which is where I found tech entrepreneurship. What was that called? The um, it's called the Venture Center in Little Rock. They run a bunch of fintech programs that attract entrepreneurs from all over the world. It's a wonderful program. Um, but while I was there, you know, I was like, this is all this stuff is stuff that we can do in um, politics with our candidates and with our organizations. And so, you know, Emily and I have gone way back and decided to, to get after it. So that's my background. Emily, would you mind giving a similar rundown of how you got to where you are? Well, sure. Also in Arkansas, living in Little Rock, I did this crazy thing where I finished school and I decided to become a lobbyist, which is what every child grows up dreaming to be, right? Uh, 
I did two years here at the state capitol in Arkansas while my husband finished up his graduate degrees and graduate work, then moved to St. Louis. Well, what did you lobby on? I was with a lobbyist firm, so we had 27 clients, so everything. Um, DBH Management Consultants was the name. And then we went to St. Louis, and for seven years, I worked for the Home Builders Association during the recession, and I was a lobbyist for them in Jeff City, but did their PAC, both state and local, and the federal fundraising. Then two years in Cincinnati, I was the policy director for the Cincinnati Chamber of Commerce. So a little more conservative than I am personally, but um, I found places and spaces to fit and make it my own as much as I could. Moved back home to Little Rock and said, you know what? I'm no longer having to pay all the bills and support my husband through all of his training. So I'm going to do what I want to do. And I started working for candidates and doing fundraising here. So started out, I was the finance director for Clark Tucker here when he ran for the Arkansas 2nd Congressional District. I did his red to blue race, broke all the records here for fundraising. Then after he lost, I started a consulting firm. I had 22 clients across the board, everything from school board to U.S. Senate races, but my main focus was Joyce Elliott's congressional race for her red to blue race here in Arkansas. After that, Becky and I started kicking tires on Good Change, which is where we are today. So I kind of took on a couple clients here and there, kept some incumbents that were near and dear to my heart for their fundraising, but um, come at this Good Change world from a perspective of I've done kind of everything. I've done federal PAC work, soft side, hard side, local PAC, state PACs candidates, campaigns, everything across the board. You could almost say there really isn't a fundraising role where I haven't played in the political sphere. So I am always interested in the story behind a new enterprise that's being created. Coming from venture support, I, I would see why Becky would have some background as well as almost every campaign is basically a startup, right? On the fundraising side. Tell me a little bit about the founding story for Good Change. Where did the idea come from? What is the idea? And how did you two get together to make it start happening? So Becky and I, as you kind of heard from our two bios, we were pretty much the only two professional political fundraisers in the state when we met in 2018 for Democrats. And misery loves company. And so we would have regular lunches that may or may not involve several margaritas and during these Margarita Misery lunches, we would lament about how hard it was to raise money for Democrats in a red state. It was 2020 at this time, and Becky had already moved on to the Venture Center and doing her brilliant work there. And I had this one race in rural Arkansas. I won't name the town because I didn't want to call out the candidate. I was consulting in this one race, and we were having the hardest time raising money. A small town, red as red can be. And we really couldn't find a way to raise money. House parties weren't working because nobody wanted to show their face as a Democrat. Emails weren't working because <laughs> everybody in the town was tired of the emails. And so what we did was um, I was not so humble bragging that we took mason jars and we just slapped a campaign sticker on the side of it. And we distributed them out from the county party headquarters for the candidate. And we said, every time you see something, read something or hear something about state politics that makes you angry or frustrates you, or you think is a setback. Take everything less in your wallet, purse, or billfold that's $5 and throw it in this jar. And we literally called them angry jars. Bring them back to the county party headquarters at the end of the month. We'll count up all the cash and change. You write a check for it because you can't take that much cash. And we'll fundraise this way. We raised $19,000 in two months off angry jars. And I was 
again, not so humble bragging to Becky. And she was like, you're a dinosaur. Well, she said it nicer than that. But she was like, you're a dinosaur. This is called a spare change roundup. And we should totally do this for politics. And then when we started talking about that idea, it spiraled into digital wallets and leaderboards and fixing all the other frustrations we had had as political fundraisers. And we literally started drawing things out in color pencil on napkins and on pieces of paper we had in front of us and dreamed big. The napkin is a tried and true method for brainstorming, for sure. What's your version of that? Very much the same. I started working for this entrepreneur support organization because the campaigns had, I love all of them. It was so hard. I was heartbroken time after time, you know, here in Arkansas. And I was like, I need a minute. And so, um, but I was still kind of in between clients. And so, you know, Emily and I are, are talking and sharing, you know, everything. And she starts talking about those angry jars. And I was like, oh my gosh, why aren't we doing this already? You know, so started thinking about that. And then, you know, we thought, well, the other benefit to this is a lot of these folks who are brand new to fundraising, who are not comfortable with asking for money, not comfortable with that whole process. It's a very easy ask for almost anybody to make. You know, you're not asking for a big commitment. You're asking for just a little bit off the top of your everyday purchases. We started just kind of playing off of each other and seeing all these different possibilities for it. And that just, you know, teed us up to start trying to figure out how to do it. That was a whole other journey. So I'm starting to understand where the name good change would have come from if you're, you know, essentially trying to collect the the extra pennies and dollars from people. But I don't have a sense of how you translated that idea into an enterprise. Emily, if you wouldn't mind, take the first swing at the steps that you take at the beginning and how you think about, I don't know, a business model and an interface, I assume tech interface to people to do this, but get us started on, on that journey. Sure. So the idea was more options, more ways to give. And the dream for every political fundraiser is passive giving, recurring giving, one ask instead of 20, one ask instead of 200. And so that's that's really what made us think about taking some, a, a technology that's out there everywhere in society already. You already asked at multiple convenience stores and drug stores and pharmacies and retail shops, grocery stores. Hey, would you like to round up? And so people, even at the base level, one-time transaction are used to that. Then there's all these other tech companies out there that already do it for student loans, savings accounts, banks do it. So it wasn't a new technology. So it seemed like it was something that people were already familiar with. But for donors, it's just not option available. So to us, that was the easy one step. But then the other big headache that I'd always had as a finance director was the money never came in fast enough and I could never get it out fast enough, especially for those big races where you have to meet those wire deadlines and then there's a chance of getting one number wrong on a wire or did the compliance firm do it right or did they not? So having wallet-to-wallet payments and having digital wallets and real fintech options available for campaigns was just something that's missing out there. And so when we started looking at making the dream list of what would make a political fundraiser's life better, more money faster and less asks were the number two problems we kept coming back to. And for smaller campaigns, 
The digital wallet is nice because the money comes in faster. So you're actually able to do the things you want to do. Like for a school board race, you're not worrying about wires dropping for a big commercial drop normally, especially in Little Rock, Arkansas. But you are worried about whether or not the money will actually come to you fast enough. Will it hit your P.O. box? Will that check get put in the wrong P.O. box? And actually coming to you directly so you can spend it on simple things like palm cards, yard signs, all the things that grassroots candidates need. So the enterprise part was really just looking at it and going, we can sit here and talk about these problems that we have, or we can make a change and make a solution. And so we just decided to go for it. Why not? So Becky, what did you have to do? Did you guys code it? Did you need to hire people to do that? And did you form this as what type of enterprise? What were those steps? So, you know, like Emily said, we once we kind of started digging in and figuring out how to build this, um, you know, we were making lists of everything that we wanted to kind of solve. Well, you know, the the thing that um, was maybe the hardest first step is figuring out what pieces were going to go together to build the house, right? We're like, what is the foundation here? And what does that offer? What is the plumbing going to be like? And what does that offer? And the um, fintech solutions are so, I mean, the the pace of acceleration on fintech solutions is so rapid. So we ended up finding one of the newest, but also most reputable companies that would let us do all kinds of things with it far beyond just the spare change roundup, right? So once we kind of unlocked that piece of it, that's when we set out and we're like, okay, we got to figure out how to get this thing built and put together. We actually are about halfway through the build of a proprietary site, um, but we have built our MVP on a low code platform with a ton of custom coded plugins. So we have a developer who is, absolutely wonderful. His name is Jonah. It was sheer luck that we found him. He's one of these these people who, much like me and Emily, you just want to jump in and figure out how to get something done, figure out how to make it. He's aligned with us politically. So he enjoyed that work. And at any rate, you know, we kind of, we've kind of worked together. I've been like his junior developer, you know, and learned a ton about data science and, you know, all kinds of stuff that I just had no idea that I was ever going to get into. And now I love it. That's kind of the background of, you know, how we actually got this thing up and running. And it has been really, really probably the most fun in my whole life to work on building that. The MVP that you built out that was on the low code platform with a lot of stuff attached to it. Emily, what did that do and how it was it? How was it received? It's being received really well. There's two sides to it, right? So there's the donor side. Again, as we made that list of problems, there were things that we wanted to come to the market with, with that MVP that were very specific for donors. So yes, there's the one-time donation, the flat recurring monthly. Those are standard. Pretty much every payment processor online does that. But we, of course, we added the spare change roundup in a secure, safe way for donors where they can connect debit cards, credit cards, even their bank account if they want to, and safely and securely round up every week. The second thing we did for donors that I find really important, every donor has their own dashboard. So the only difference for the donor between us and other payment processors is there's just a quick five-second entry of a password. And that password then unlocks you to full controls of 
pushing pause on your spare change if your air conditioner breaks or your partner loses a job or you lose a job or you're sick. You can push pause. You can disable your monthly contributions because one of the big heartaches we had as fundraisers who lived among our donors is people would come to us and share these sob stories like, you know, I'm so sorry, my house was hit by a tornado and I can no longer afford the $20 a month to whatever state rep and I'm embarrassed by it, but can you help me stop it? And so we were really passionate about giving donors some dignity and space in place to make those changes in a way that was very user-friendly for them. On the flip side for campaigns, like I said, when the money comes in, the money is processed immediately to their own digital wallet. It is backed by a credit union. It is connected to their bricks and mortar bank account. They can move money back and forth. They can even move money wallet to wallet within our system. So campaigns, organizations, associations, nonprofits have the opportunity to not only make payments to like-minded groups that are legal to give to, like a, a Democratic Party could give to candidates, but also if they call us and tell us what vendors to sign up, we can make vendor payments. We can move up to a million dollars in almost real time. And that is all on this site that we've built. We're really excited. Those are the products available at this moment, in addition to microblogs and all kinds of other things. But what's coming soon is leaderboards where we can do peer-to-peer relational fundraising and donors can invite other donors to give and support to the causes and groups they they want to talk to. Because we think that's the next frontier of political fundraising. Becky, when, when I hear this, and I imagine you've thought about this a fair amount, I think about the existing players in the political space, the Act Blues and the NGP Vans and quite a number of others along the way or currently that have been part of processing donations and have some of the features and then as well, some startups that have done add-on type things as an overlay. What distinguishes what you're doing from what's already out there or what other people have tried? The distinguishing features are the spare change roundup and then the wallet, the wallet system. So, um, you know, the spare change roundups, nobody in the political sphere has that capability available. We love those spare change roundups. And in our all of our trials, we've had the spare change outperform monthly recurring two to one. So and it produces a higher ROI. So that's the first differentiator. The second differentiator, the wallet system, it just allows that it allows those payments to go through seamlessly, securely, instantaneously. And then we've got free same day ACH to get it to your bricks and mortar account. So that is speeding the pace of the payments. I am a little ignorant about what is the advantage of a wallet. I have a sense I might have a wallet, either in my pocket or virtually. But what is different about a contribution going over to your bank account directly and one that goes into a wallet and can be moved to your bank account? Maybe, Emily? So, I mean, I think the way I would describe it is I don't know of another payment processor that directly puts anything into your bank account. It goes to their bank account and then they ACH you to your bank account a payment. No, no, there's others that go directly. In general, uh, you would then have to, there's more setup to do yes. it that way. Yeah. Yes. So, so the, people the, do connect directly their bank accounts to their processor. Yes. So the advantage of the wallet is the instant processing or the almost instant processing. So 
when you're inside our wallet ecosphere, by the way, if you have Venmo, you have a wallet. I have Venmo. And so when you when you have that wallet and you're able to move it directly, our my favorite feature is, you know, we have a digital firm that works with a congressional candidate. The digital firm says, hey, I'm working with Congresswoman so-and-so. Congresswoman so-and-so says, yes, that's my digital firm. And they connect. The money moves back and forth as much as they want or as much as appropriate for billing and invoices and reimbursements and all that stuff. And it's vendor verified. It helps reduce any opportunity for fraud. So unlike your bank account where you're using a compliance team or a finance team to send wires back and forth or ACHs back and forth, we have to be very specific on numbers or We've heard stories in D.C. where fraudulent invoices went into a compliance firm that was not in the same state as the organization was working with. And so it it eliminates all that kind of heartache in the best we can in any kind of digital world. There's no such thing as foolproof. But what we're trying to do is really make sure that everybody who's on our system is verified, is who they are, who they say they are, and payments move back and forth, both for free and in almost real time. Also, just kind of as an umbrella for all of that, the benefit of the wallet, you're reducing ACH fees, you're reducing the time spent with something in transit with ACH, right? So if we have a wallet, I can do that with however many people. It's at no cost to me. I can do it right off the bat. As soon as Emily gets it, she can send it straight to her bank. She can hold it there. It doesn't really matter, but she's already got the money in her kind of possession, right? I assume if someone's using a credit card, you're still, the credit card fees still pertain. Yes. We have all in one inclusive fee. So all the processing fee variations, the platform fees, it's all included. So we try to eliminate those fluctuations for people. How do you charge customers? We are commission based. So we only charge based on transactions. There's no sign up fees, there's no monthly retainers. And we are an all-in-one, all-encompassing fee. And, and it's that? just for transactions. We start at 10%. So we earn a dime only after you earn a dollar. But we have various pricing options available, especially in new states and new markets. So if it's a big campaign, that would obviously be way more than they're used to paying. What happens if you land someone who's going to bring in millions of dollars through this? You can't be charging 10% then. We welcome those conversations and we make sure that we are appropriately priced for the market. Okay. When you hire a Jonah and you are putting together an MVP and trying to keep yourself employed, I assume to some extent, you must have either had money or raised money to do that. How did that go? We raised funds. What did you raise and from whom? We raised about, we raised 425000 425, from um, a very supportive group of angel investors who we're forever grateful for. And then also, you know, we got some investment from Higher Ground Labs too. I've talked to a lot of Higher Ground Labs cohort people over the years. Tell me what your experience has been with them and have they been helpful? And I assume they, they own a part now of your enterprise? The agreement that we have with them, it's hard to sum up just in one little snippet, but but it's you know essentially like you know how that how Y Combinator and those places have safe agreements. It's essentially something like that. Just tools to help, um, tools to help you know help fund 
startups. So they basically and, have made you a, a loan that could translate into stock. Yes. Yeah. But the experience has been fabulous. It's a remarkable group of mentors who are wonderful enough to be honest with you, which is something that is extremely hard to find. And so we value and treasure all their feedback. They are extremely supportive, but at the same time, really make us better at what we do and how we process and help keep us on the cutting edge of what's new and next. So we're really thankful, not just for the mentorship of the team, but also our peers in the cohort. I cannot express enough how wonderful it is to be around other entrepreneurs that are going through the same things you are and learning and gleaming from their ideas and experiences is really invaluable. If you are a campaign out there and you're setting up your fundraising, typically you would put something like ActBlue or one of its competitors up on your site. Do you advocate someone using you instead of existing processors or in addition? How do you fit in with the political processing market on the Democratic side and the progressive side? I mean, absolutely. We have a number of campaigns that are going to be using us exclusively, and we're excited for those opportunities. We do have a bunch of incumbents and other groups that have already set up with ActBlue and other processors, and we are one more tool in the toolbox. So I think the answer is both. We can do everything you need for your everyday processing. So we have everything from a federal candidate who's coming out soon who'll use this exclusively to smaller races that'll use this exclusively. And we are here to innovate and provide real customer success, not just customer service, but customer success for those groups. And for those who already have an existing processor, Becky and I have never been the jealous type. And so we're totally fine to offer new tools and services and allow them the spare change roundup if that's what they need or the wallet if that's what they need. A bunch of them are really excited about our leaderboards and our peer-to-peer relational fundraising programs we're going to launch here in September. And so I'm not trying to be wishy-washy about it, but I mean, we're really here to fit the tools and the needs of any candidate, no matter where they are. We're Democrats. We love everybody, no matter where they are, right? (laughs) I hope so. Tell me about what your experience is in what percentage of donations are coming through a spare change roundup type situation compared to other ways that we're more used to. What are you seeing? What's kind of the range? I mean, it's really like the the one-time donations are far and away the, the biggest part of that bucket, right? One-time donations are the, the most frequent by far. But between monthly and spare change, you know, I think I said mentioned earlier that it's, a, it's really like a two-to-one split right now. And we're, we're just getting started really, right? We're just getting started with several campaigns that are using us for everything. So we'll get a better feel on it. But right now, so far, like out of the gate, that's how things are shaping up just over the past couple of months. And it's about a 230% increase in contributions. So it's a significant chunk. And the folks who are doing the spare change around us, when we talk to them, they don't, they're like, I did, you know, I forgot about it or, you know, I like, I don't even feel it. I don't even notice it because it just comes out a little at a time weekly, a little bit comes out weekly. Another reason why it's outperforming monthly is because 
people don't have to make a decision about it. It's like, okay, I'll do that. I don't have to decide what the level is. I don't have to make any other decision. I'm just going to do that. I'm going to give as I spend. So. Emily, is there anything that stops one of the existing vendors from just adding a spare change roundup type function to their platform? Anybody can can do anything. I mean, if we can build something, if we can build it, you know, anybody can what anybody can build it, right? It's not a spaceship or anything like that. But I think that um, the challenges in building something like that, the challenges in building it are, it's hard to revise an existing system, an existing banking system. This is why we're seeing so much bank innovation right now, because our banking systems in the United States are um, they're built on legacy technologies. There are tons of providers who are offering add-ons and fintech integration so that the, so that the banking ecosystem can be more innovative more quickly. This is a core sort of issue with somebody just replicating this and adding it to their current tech stack because, you know, people who with a huge user base to have to go back in and revise all those users to have to switch them all over to a different system, to have to get all of that banking information set up in that way, it's tough. That would be tough. What is your plan as far as expanding this enterprise? What are the next steps to go from something of an experiment to something that's widely used? We're really excited because in our list of problems that Becky and I put together initially, I mean, we have about three years worth of development ahead of us. The list is long and robust, especially when you've been doing this as long as we have. We're here with the spare change in the digital wallet. Those are our two primary features. We're adding the leaderboards where donors, you can add donors and you go up in the leaderboards. Relational fundraising, we think, is a really sweet niche coming forward, especially as the white noise gets harder and harder to cut through, especially for down ballot races. So that is all in the works. The moment we have that complete and we're happy and satisfied with that product, Turning this into an app, I think, is inevitable down the road and something that's really exciting, something that's on your phone, out of your inboxes completely. And it's something that you can work with and move with and interact with on a regular, easy, safe, and simple way. So that's us on the works. Of course, we're open to other ideas. And I'm sure as we keep going, we'll find new tweaks and tools for it. What should I have asked you to that I haven't. What would you like people to know about what you're up to? I would like people to know that we're building all the time. We are extremely agile right now, and we can incorporate a lot into our future building plans. But just that we are eager to serve campaigns and candidates and organizations up and down the ballot, all sizes. We really want their feedback we really want to serve them and make their lives easier and better. Because uh, otherwise, this is just not very much fun at all. If we make things harder for people, it wouldn't be any fun. So if we're making things better for people, it's a whole lot of fun. And we like to have fun. I think the one thing I would add to that is after we hired our developer, the very next human we started talking to, we called a customer success person. Customer success is a really important feature. We're not customer service-based, we're customer success-based. And so we do kind of unique things that most payment platforms don't do. Once a month, we hold a webinar 
for an hour over lunch called Fundraising First, the first first weekday of every month. And we just talk about various campaign fundraising issues, how to do call time better, how to do emails that people open, how to do house parties. I think that's something that's really unique to our offering. It helps us make sure we keep our finger on the pulse of what's going on in fundraising so we don't become stale and antiquated and just a group that's stuck in digital and not on the ground anymore. So I really value those conversations. The other thing that I can't stress enough in what I've seen with political fundraising that really evolved throughout the tenure of my career is that in political fundraisers, we are so focused on everybody reactionarily giving $10 and max out donors. There's this huge middle road of people that come to house parties and that's about it. And they can give $100 to $1,000 and that, that forgotten middle, as I call it, that's really what we're targeting here with Good Change. And those are our people. We see great opportunities there and we think they have a voice that's important and we know they're ready to be part of campaign teams and really feel integrated into campaigns. So those are the two things we're excited about. So if you're not innovating, if you're not aggressively, actively seeking innovation strategies and looking for new ways to connect with people, you're going to be falling behind. Everybody knows that. We hear that all the time right now, and it's definitely true. It is difficult for such risk-averse groups like campaigns um, and anything in the political sphere. Innovation is a, a tough thing for them because you, you don't have a lot of hits and misses. You can't afford a lot of misses. you got to have all hits, right? But I want to really kind of praise Higher Ground Lab for the work that they're doing because they are giving a space and showing a way for people to work with startup companies that are proving their marketability, that are proving their viability, all of that stuff in much more low risk ways and helping the entire ecosystem find low risk ways to engage with and support startups. And then that is really going to be the fuel for all of our innovation going forward. My perspective on the world of political fundraising, which I started building software for in the 90s, it's a broad field with with a lot of tech in it. And what you're building at this point feels like a comparatively narrow piece of it, even if an important piece. When you think about the long run, do you think about building out a bigger and bigger platform? Do you think about uh, acquiring adjacent type enterprises? Do you think about being acquired by a bigger suite of tools? How do you think about it at this stage about how the company might fit in down the road? Absolutely. Yes, we're for sale. Um, no, okay. um, but no, uh, absolutely. We, I mean, the way I look at the ecosphere of political tech is we're all on the same team. And um, yes, of course, there's some degree of competition, but not really. We're here to complement and find our own space and place. But when we look at what's in the future and what we can do, I'm really excited about how our and the way we're positioning ourselves will easily integrate with other things like organizing tools or um, town hall tools or things that are coming up that are really exciting and creative because our play on peer-to-peer and relational fundraising fits in very nicely with other things going on with adding volunteers and organizing volunteers or candidate communication. And there's some really 
nice and sleek interplays out there that are exciting. When you look at other startups and other larger incumbents in the political tech space, who do you think is doing something that's eye-catching or impressive or seems to be also exciting? Oh, there's so many. Other startups or people who've been around a while who are innovating. I love everybody in our cohort so much. I mean, we've just been face-to-face with them and we've been able to dig deep into their um, platforms. So like, I love everybody doing new tech. It's wonderful. Just off the top of my head, like all of our HDL cohort folks, the Relentless Women, the Rally Tool, that is incredibly impressive. And um, they are, Zoe and Davis are just, they just knock my socks off. Yeah, I I know Zoe and and, uh, I'll see her here at my bonfire shortly. There's very few people with that kind of energy. I always think I'm pretty kind of high energy sometimes. And then she just makes me look like I'm in a coma or something. (laughs) Just nobody get in her way. But yeah, and Chorus AI and Oath Oath is doing cool things with donor valuation. um, And and their take on donations is cool. Rept is cool with the way they do town halls. A lot of people communicate social current and the way they're leveraging influencers. I mean, it could go on and on. They're all great. Well, it's really fun to talk to you. Is there anything else that either of you want to say? Thank you. Thank you for having us on. It's an honor. We know your background and gosh, I would love to interview you sometime. (laughs) Uh, That could happen. Those were Becky Pittman and Emily Wineland. They are goodchange.app. This is Nathaniel G. Perlman with the Great Battlefield Podcast. You can find us at greatbattlefield.com or by searching for Great Battlefield in places where podcasts are found. The Great Battlefield is now part of the Democracy Group Podcast Network. Visit democracygroup.org to learn more about other podcasts that cover democracy and civic engagement. You can also help me by leaving comments and good ratings on Apple Podcasts or elsewhere, and by sending me suggestions for great guests to nperlman at gmail.com.